All right. The best football weekend of the year is just about here. That calls for the best betting breakdown of the year. Here to give it our best shot. Honored to be joined by good friend of the show, Sharp Clark. Sharp Clark is an NFL originator. You can find his work at 4for4.com. That's the number four, the letters F-O-R, the number four.com, as well as on the Forward Progress YouTube channel. On the platform formerly known as Twitter, you can follow him at SharpClarkNFL. Note there's an E at the end of Clark. And Clark, I couldn't think of a better guest given this weekend's matchups that we've got in store. Welcome back to Props and Hops. Thanks, Matt. I, I do have to disagree. I think wildcard weekend is more exciting. The four games is just not quite enough football. I need I need six playoff games to, to make it the best weekend of the year. I hear you on that. I guess if we can get more than one competitive game this weekend, maybe that would give me a leg up in this conversation. But all else equal with Super Wildcard Weekend now being a thing, it's back-to-back awesome weekends of playoff football. Yeah, definitely. All right. And as we get this conversation on the road, want to give a shout out to everybody who's watching live with us on YouTube and Twitter. Feel free to jump in the chat with any questions or comments. We'll be happy to work those into the show whenever possible. And Clark, to lead off, I want to note that on your last appearance on this show, week 11, it seemed to be a bit of a turning point for your betting results this season, if I recall correctly. And I think that you've seen a a really strong finish after a pretty tough start. I'm wondering how much of that rebound you could attribute to just positive variance and things along those lines, as opposed to perhaps any changes you made throughout the course of the season to your betting process. I didn't change anything about my process, so it's entirely variance. Um, I'm starting to suspect that it it may not be entirely variance, actually, because this is the third year in a row where I have uh, performed much stronger, much more strongly in the second half of the year than in the first half. And I know a lot of people say, you know, beating NFL is easier in, in the early part of the season. I've I've found the opposite to be true. And I think it could stem from how I do my process. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, uh, yeah, didn't change anything. I did come up with ideas for what I want to implement next year, but I don't have the time during the season to start, you know, modifying my programs or, you know, coming up with new ideas that I'm willing to implement with my full, you know, bet size. So what I've been doing this year is kind of experimenting with some things on the side just for some small amounts. And that's been going fairly well. So I'm hoping to build that into my actual process for next year. All right. Well, I'm glad that the way your process is working as you've had it laid out from the get-go this season, it seems like we're catching you at the right time as things tend to peak as we approach the deeper stretches of the regular season and into the playoffs now. And Clark, on that note, the first game on the board this weekend takes us to Baltimore on Saturday where the Ravens will host Houston. Baltimore currently a nine and a half point favorite, total 43 and a half. Of course, for Houston, CJ Stroud off another spectacular showing last week in a wild card win against Cleveland. The Ravens, the AFC's top seed, coming back off of their bye week. Weather could be a potential factor here, some cold and wind to watch out for. Overall, Clark, how are you approaching Houston-Baltimore from a betting perspective? I think the first question you have to answer in this one is what you think of CJ Stroud. And I, I think it's easy to be a prisoner of the moment. I was having a conversation with a buddy about this where you know he just had a really impressive performance in the playoffs against the Browns. And it's easy to, at coming off of another impressive performance against the Colts to get them in the playoffs. And it's easy to say, you know, I'm going to ride the CJ Stroud thing because he's great. Um, sometimes you don't want to do that because, you know, you have a body of work to compare it to. In this case, with a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach and a rookie play caller all converging on the same team and 
showing sustained progress throughout the season, culminating in this performance late, combined with the traits that I see on film that CJ Stroud has, which are elite traits that will enable him to be an elite quarterback in the league. I think we actually should be buying this performance as the expectation for Stroud. Um, and I think that if he can you know, dominate against the Browns defense, he can at least compete against the Ravens defense. Now, the Ravens defense has been better than the Browns in high-profile matchups, right? They performed well, very well against San Francisco. They absolutely smothered Detroit. Uh, they they shut out, not quite shut out, but really put the clamps on Seattle. Um, and then Miami as well, they, they did a pretty good job against. So they have a lot more impressive wins on the defensive resume than the Browns do. But none of those teams have a quarterback of the caliber of Stroud. So even if the Ravens do cause this Texans some problems, I think Stroud will get through. He'll make some big plays. Even, you know, weather conditions will limit those big plays, but they'll also limit big plays on the other side by the Ravens. Um, so I think this spread is assuming that the Texans are still kind of a middle-of-the-pack team and that the Ravens are arguably the best team in the NFL, whereas I'm closer to the Texans being a, you know, just below the top-tier team um, and then the Ravens being not the best team in the NFL, uh, although they are pretty close. So, so I, I like the Texans on the spread here. All right. So Texans plus nine and a half bettable in your eyes. I know it's kind of in no man's land. Of course, if we saw this go back to 10, you would then like Houston even more by definition. Is there a point where if we continue to see Houston money, you might cut off the buy point on the Texans? Yeah, I would bet down to plus eight and a half. If we get to plus eight, I wouldn't bet it. I, I don't see a huge edge here. My numbers make it seven and a half and the seven and a half to eight is not enough to to, to make an edge to bet on, especially at minus 110. Um, but I do, I just, I, I don't think it's getting to 10. Like I, I, I would, I wouldn't hesitate to bet it at nine and a half, even though that's kind of a weird number to bet. We saw a release from Raz earlier in the week at nine and that didn't push it to 10. And if that wasn't enough to push it to 10 midweek, then I, I doubt we're going to see um, a 10 all week. And if we do, it'll be late money on game day. And in which case, you know, there's a good chance that my read is wrong. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like we saw some 10s when lines first opened. That was a clear buy point for Houston. Nine seems like a buy point for a lot of people coming back the other way on Baltimore. So it does seem like nine and a half makes a lot of sense here. And I've got one bet and one lean on this game that I'll run by you for your thoughts. Yeah. My first bet, not necessarily going head to head with you. I think I already know what you're going to think of it. And, and this bet's not going to surprise regular listeners to this show. But when we look at this game, plus the next one on the board, I think we've got a dynamite opportunity here for a two-team seven-point teaser, good up to minus 140, and that's taking the Ravens and the Niners both down through those key numbers of seven and three, of course. Baltimore minus two and a half, and then San Francisco minus two and a half hosting Green Bay. Call it predictable, call it boring. This also happens to be one of my bigger bets this week, and I'm not here to withhold what I perceive to be a good level of value. For comparison's sake, a money line parlay on the Ravens and the Niners going to cost you in the range of minus 200 right now. So we've got a 60 cent discount betting on virtually the same outcome. Now it is possible. We saw a one point game last week in Detroit, Baltimore or San Francisco could win by one or two, in which case the money line parlay cashes and this teaser doesn't. But I think for 60 cents less in VIG, that's well worth the trade-off and the handicap here, pretty straightforward. The top two teams in the league at home off the buy being asked to do little more than win outright. Clark, I know that you probably don't like the Baltimore leg if you're on the Texans and think very highly of Stroud. But as with all bets, I think that's a good reminder that nothing's a lock. Please exercise bankroll management. And Clark, feel free to come back in and uh, maybe try to talk some people out of this if you disagree with that teaser look. 
I wouldn't say I strongly disagree. I, I do think that there is also some defensive uh, potential defensive strengths for the Texans in this one that they've been mixing up their coverages quite a bit more. I was talking to Ryan Noonan about this. Um, and I think that might've been a PFF article. I'm not sure, but, but they've been, they've been disguising their coverages over the middle of the field and, and shifting post snap in ways that they weren't earlier in the year. Um, and it really confused Flacco. And I think Lamar Jackson has struggled with some of those same defensive looks in his career as a passer. So um, not a strong push against, and you know, one of us is guaranteed to hit, at least this part of uh, your teaser, either your teaser or my bet. But uh, yeah, hopefully we can middle it and get a small Ravens win. At least one of us. Yeah. If not both will be happy after the first game wraps up on Saturday. Um, I also want to get your thoughts on a lean that I've got in mind right now. Lamar Jackson over 52 and a half rushing yards. I'm seeing that priced at minus 120. So shaded a bit toward the over. I see some pros and cons in this equation. In the pros column, this is a high leverage game. I think that's a common talking point for a lot of athletic quarterbacks to take more chances and all else equal, consider them more likely to put it on the line and run in this setting compared to a regular season game. Also keeping an eye on the weather, if the wind or cold becomes a limiting factor in the passing game, that could translate to more rushing opportunity. And on the flip side, some cons to be aware of, Baltimore being a big favorite here, if they're up big for a good chunk of the game, that could mean there's no need to risk Lamar running. And something I'm always aware of with quarterbacks who are favored with a prop like this, kneel downs would count against their yardage total. So there's a chance that Lamar is sitting at, say, 55 rushing yards with two minutes left. The Ravens have the ball in the lead. That's not guaranteed to cash in that type of scenario, even though you'd be clear of the number by two and a half yards. From a timing standpoint, I think this is likely to go up as public money enters the market closer to kickoff. I don't think we can wait too long if we're looking toward the over potentially, but I would like more clarity on the forecast before deciding whether or not to pull the trigger. Clark, at this point, any thoughts on your end when it comes to Lamar over 52 and a half rushing yards, juiced slightly to that over? My only opinion is if I'm coaching the, the Ravens or if I'm Lamar Jackson, then I want that to hit because I think his rushing ability, he needs to really unleash it and unlock it in the playoffs, I think, to maximize what the Ravens can do on offense. Like, their passing game has been better this year and it's been really, really important. But I think it's time to, you know, put his unbelievable athleticism on display. Um, so I, I wouldn't bet it, but I, I think if the, if the Ravens are smart, I think that should hit. All right, so we can keep it classified as a lean for now, but bets in this game, Clark, on Houston plus nine and a half. I've got the Ravens in a teaser, and we'll get to the second leg where the Niners pair up with the Ravens in the teaser. San Francisco hosting Green Bay. The Niners laying nine and a half, total of 50 and a half. And Clark, when you came on this show in week 11, I think you were the first one who I heard getting really early on the love best for Jordan Love. How does what you've seen from him since that week 11 matchup inform your gambling approach? Fast forwarding here to Green Bay, San Francisco. So it's pretty similar to CJ Stroud in that there's been a meaningful trend of performance to the upside for a first year starting quarterback in a new system. So uh, I, I think that there is some definite signal in his performance, but the difference between Love and Stroud is that I think while while I've been very, very impressed with Love, I think he is benefiting quite a bit more from the offensive structure, offensive line play and scheme that is getting guys wide open. Um, and he's hitting those guys and he's evading pressure in very creative ways, like leaning back and throwing off his back foot to make sure that that last second before the defender gets to him is all the time he needs to make that throw. So he's been playing really well, but the 49ers defense is really good. And I think when you get a, a, an offense that is built around an effective scheme like that, 
Um, I think a, a really good defense can disrupt it. So I, I have a little bit of more doubt about the Packers than I do about the Texans in this one. Anything with that analysis steering you toward a bet or a lean from a betting perspective? Or are you just going to more watch and learn for Packers? Yes. Yeah, so, so there's a couple of creative bets that I made on this one. I, I think this, the spread and total full game are pretty tight markets. So I'm not seeing an edge on those. But um, one thing that that I noticed last week that I'm sure a lot of people have noticed is that the Packers, they won the toss against Dallas and they took the ball. Mm-hmm. And they'll probably do that again. I, I don't see why they would have a different attitude going into another game where they're big underdogs when the first time they did it, it worked and they won. So it, they're almost certainly going to take the ball if they win the toss. Whereas I think Shanahan is, is a pretty typical defer to the second half kind of guy. So there's a good chance Green Bay starts with the ball here. So there, there are some creative ways to play this. One is DraftKings has a market where uh, you can bet on the team to score first and lose. And the Packers are, I think, plus 260 right now on that. And so that's sort of the idea that in an offensive game where both offenses will play well, the team that gets first is going to have a good shot at scoring first. But the fact that Green Bay scores first doesn't really alter the win probability all that much. And so then you've got a money line on San Francisco at plus 230 just be- or 260 just because the, the Packers scored first. And then related to that, I also played second half bet on the 49ers spread minus four and a half. Um, similar type of idea. This, the, the 49ers are almost certainly going to start with the ball in the second half. And I like either game script. If the Packers are playing from behind, they, they kind of have to get out of their, you know, reliance on the run and setting up play action. And I think that won't be too good for them. And if the 49ers are behind, I, I think they're a good enough team against that defense of the Green Bay Packers to, to you know, mount a comeback and make it competitive. So I think there's a lot of ways that that looks like a good bet by, by halftime. All right, we're looking at this game from a similar perspective, and I think we've got plenty of company at this stage of the week. I'll share two bets aside from that 49ers teaser like paired with Baltimore. One of mine is San Francisco in the third quarter against the spread, laying two and a half at minus 120. I think we've got a good bit of wiggle room at this price point. I would feel comfortable playing it minus two and a half up to minus 145. And you hit on the obvious with the coin toss that's now being widely discussed. I also have noted a couple points from a previous appearance on VEASAN earlier in the week that I think still kind of resonate. One, Brock Purdy was shaky in his first half of playoff action last year against Seattle. He settled in well as that game progressed. I think if we don't see something similar in terms of Purdy being shaky, he might be a bit rusty in the early going this week after sitting out week 18. And then for the Packers, some fatigue might start to set in for them as this game progresses. It's a short week for them. They're playing their second straight road game, and they have their bye way back in week six. So this will be their 14th straight week with a game. And lastly, I can see Kyle Shanahan's schematic edge over Packers defensive coordinator Joe Barry really asserting itself increasingly as the game goes on. So Clark, in addition to some of the creative bets that you outlined, any thought on San Francisco third quarter against the spread, laying two and a half, current price point about minus 120. Yeah, I love I think that's the same same angles that apply to mine apply to yours, and I think it's a good bet. All right, and one thing to add to takings in a bit of a different direction. We'll see if you like it as well. More of a full game prop. The props and hop special with a total like this, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. I'm seeing that available at minus 150. Don't think we have as much wiggle room as some of the Niners and Packers derivatives, but I think that this one could be good up to minus 155. So still a bit of wiggle room here. Regular listeners to this show know the drill. A high total bodes well for the prospect of more touchdowns. That in turn bodes well for the prospects of at least one one yard touchdown. And while it can sound like threading the needle, things like pass interference in the end zone 
or just the field compressing near the goal line could give us a good chance at some goal line opportunities here. From a handicapping perspective with these two teams, I think we're looking at, at both offenses having good dual threat capability if they get down to the one-yard line. Both running backs performing at an elite level right now. Mobile quarterbacks, creative play callers. I just think things could really stack up in our favor should we get either offense down near the goal line. So Clark, any thoughts? I know it requires some big, but shortest touchdown under one and a half yards and the range of minus 150. Yeah, no, no strong opinions, but I know it's a, a favorite of the show, and and so that it, it lines up with your handicap. All right, well, we will see if we can get some more strong opinions out of you as we flip the page over to Sunday. Tampa Bay at Detroit, currently the Lions, a six-and-a-half-point favorite, total of 48-and-a-half. And Clark, Tampa Bay was really impressive. I know the Eagles were anything but impressive, but a good showing from the Bucks on Monday night. Now Tampa heads out on the road on a short week at Detroit. The Lions, of course, coming off their first playoff win in a generation. Any thoughts from a betting perspective on Tampa Bay, Detroit to kick things off on Sunday? Yeah, I, I actually, the market's moved against me on this one. So I'm not feeling great, but um, I like the under in this one. You can get 49 and a half at DraftKings right now, 49 most other places. Um, this is this is a very large total to be giving in a game with Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff, a quarterback. And I understand that the Lions offense is very good. They're playing at home. They're playing in a dome. You know, they they basically rolled the Rams for three drives in a row before things really slowed down last week. But what the Bucks were able to do defensively really impressed me. I, I know that they're, the Eagles have issues, but the Bucks have been dealing with defensive issues all year, and they finally got healthy in the last couple of weeks. They have every starter that matters. They've, I think they've missed two or three main starters in most of the games since about week eight. Um, and once they got healthy, they shut out the Panthers. They shut out the Jaguars until the fourth quarter. Um, and then last week they, you know, held the Eagles to nine points and they're doing much more of the stuff that they love to do with Todd Bowles, the blitzing, the creativity. And I think it's going to cause Jared Goff just a couple problems because Jared Goff's uh, splits on pressure versus not pressure are dramatic. And I think the Bucks can get that pressure. And then on the other side of the ball, um, you know, Baker Mayfield has been playing well, but we've seen enough of Baker Mayfield to know that he's inconsistent. He gets passes bad at the line of scrimmage. He misses deep shots. And I don't think they're going to have a ton of success running the ball against this Lions defensive front. So it's going to be all on Baker Mayfield. And I don't think he's going to have the level of success against the Lions who are playing really, really passionately and tackling hard and, and you know really making it hard for offenses to succeed. Matthew Stafford succeeded because he made miracle throw after miracle throw. I don't think Baker Mayfield is capable of that. And I don't think that the Lions are going to let you know, Trey Palmer or whatever run for 50 yard touchdown after the catch. Um, so, so this is a spot where I just think the total is giving a little bit too much credit to the defenses in what I, you know, in terms of ratings, this is my most defensive game of the four. And, and, you know, obviously the totals are impacted by weather and playing inside, but I still don't think that it justifies a total being above 48 in this one. So I, I like the under. And I'm glad to hear you say that in a sense, because pretty much every other sharp better whose opinion I respect, who I mentioned regularly on this show, has made a very strong case for the over in this matchup. And totals are outside of my wheelhouse. So if I don't have a pretty full consensus, then I'm just going to sit back and, and try to watch and learn. And one follow up for you when it comes to this total would be that a couple of factors I've heard in favor of a potential over. You touched on Baker Mayfield missing guys downfield. That was a pretty common aspect of the first matchup between these two teams back in week six in Tampa Bay. And 
sometimes I wonder if that's predictive or if that's likely to just regress toward the mean and maybe Mayfield hits one or two guys in a similar setting that he might have missed in the previous matchup. And similarly, maybe a misleading under in Detroit's game against the Rams last weekend. If I recall correctly, there were well over 40 first downs in the game and more than 750 yards of offense. So for that game to just really stall out like it did in the second half, the Rams kind of backing out of field goal range in their last drive, then the Lions just killing the clock. I think the output was suppressed and had that game soared over, we might be looking at a different total here. Do any of those points or, or anything else that you've heard of so many other people going in on the over give you any pause? Or do you just try to put yourself in a bit of a vacuum and, and break it down in line with what you've already shared here? Yeah, I tr I try to isolate my you know my handicapping process from what other people are saying. The thing that I do respect is late week market movement, and we saw movement today on the over, and so that that is respectable. Like that's a group that makes money that's moving that line. So so I, I this isn't a, a bet that I would go to bat for against that type of resistance, but I still do believe in my handicap, and I still have that bet, and I'm not hedging out of it. Like I believe in it. Um, as far as last week's game, I think that actually illustrates one of the reasons why I'm on the under is there's so many ways for unders to hit. Like we always assume that, you know, yards turn into points and, and touchdowns and things, but like, you know, early on in the game, the lions went for it on fourth down deep in uh, Rams territory and they got it. And that was a touchdown. If they don't get that fourth down, it's, you know, Rams ball on their own two yard line. And that really changes the dynamic of the scoring for the rest of the game. And I think um, when you're talking about high totals in, in today's NFL, with potential long drives that lead to field goals or failed fourth down conversions, you know, th things tightening up at the end of the game, the team with the, that's winning, running the clock out. There's, there's so many ways for the under to hit, even if my handicap isn't correct, that I think that there's sort of some uh, externality there in, in my handicap. One thing you touched on there, the Lions going for it on fourth down and the variance that that can introduce kind of plays into two bets that I have for this game. First up, the method of the game's first score to be a Lions touchdown. I'm seeing that at plus 155 offshore, and I think it should become more widely available as we get closer to kickoff. I would consider this good down to plus 140. Now, a couple of cardinal rules I'm kind of breaking here. My own cardinal rules, so uh, you know, to some people these aren't sanctimonious by any stretch, but this is a non-binary outcome. Usually I try to bet over, under, you know, plus or minus type of bets. This one has several different options in terms of permutations for the first score of the game. And really, the Lions touchdown could feel like a bit of a needle in a haystack. But in a moment, I'll get to why I still think there is value here. In fact, part of why I see value, the other cardinal rule I have is, is factoring a trend into the handicap. I rarely use the T word in a serious note on this show, but I think there's some merit to it here. In the Lions' last five games, their first score has been a Detroit touchdown four times. And I think there's underlying logic to support the trend. So that's where this gets a little bit more serious for me. You touched on it. Dan Campbell's really aggressive. Ben Johnson, really innovative with his game plan. So especially early on, this could be really effective for the Lions offense. And of course, all bets come down to the price. I think the price we're seeing here is just a standard way that books are going off of the charts based on the full game point spread, not necessarily accounting for some of the unique coaching factors that we're going to get in this setting. So Clark, all that said, any interest in your end on a look at the Lions to score the first touchdown, excuse me, the method of the game for a score to be a Lions touchdown at plus 155? I, I think the handicap makes a lot of sense. And I think it's it's a creative way to play the Lions. Like I think you know, one of the things that I talked about earlier was expanding my process. One of those ways is to find different ways to attack the same angle so that not everything relies on 
one specific outcome. And so I think if you like the Lions against the spread, you like the Lions money line, there's different ways to play. I think this is a, a very good way to play it because of their proclivity to avoid field goals in the red zone. Yeah. All right. And I love the use of proclivity there. Proclivity. It's so easy for me to say. Always uh, expanding my vocabulary when I get to uh, listen to you or, or have you on this show. So uh, a nice little plus EV move in that sense as well. And Clark, the other bet I have in this game it kind of relates to the first one. Detroit under one and a half field goals. I'm seeing mm -hmm. that at plus 105 offshore. Again, should be more widely available as we get closer to kickoff. And I consider this one good at even money or better. And a hat tip here to handicapper Ron Marmolevsky, who was last week's guest on this show. He brought it to my attention that the Lions attempted the fewest field goals in the league this season, 21 attempts in 17 regular season games. That's three fewer than the next closest team. And they only had one field goal attempt in Sunday's game against the Rams. So we can add it up. 22 attempts through 18 games this season. Here, we're just asking them to make one or zero. I think the logic behind these numbers also checks out going back to Dan Campbell's aggression on fourth down. In a lot of cases, if an NFL team has, let's say, fourth and three at the opponent's 35, they're probably trotting out the kicking unit to attempt a 53-yard field goal. Campbell knows better, and I think Ben Johnson often pushes the right buttons when it comes to dialing up the right play to keep those drives alive. And even if they were to fail on a fourth down in that spot, that's one less field goal attempt that could foil this type of bet. I also think there's a bit of a free roll here with some potential for Detroit to pull away. This isn't the biggest spread of the weekend, so I don't think it necessarily calls for a blowout, but the Lions are a significant favorite nevertheless. And for Tampa, a short week off the late Monday game to the early Sunday slot. So if Detroit's winning by margin in the second half, I think their priority could become more about shortening the game, and that could lead to fewer bites at the apple for potential field goal attempts. And lastly here, from my standpoint, do want to call out bankroll management in order here as much as it is for any bet because there is some slight correlation with that first score of the game to be a Lions touchdown. We want to make sure we're keeping the portfolio resilient in the face of a potential first score of the game being a Lions field goal. I think and hope that we don't see it, but I also think we need to be able to swallow that pill if we do. So Clark, all things considered, any thoughts? not just on the first score of the game to be a Lions touchdown, but for the full game for the Lions under one and a half field goals. Yeah, that tracks for me. I think maybe maybe just as a caution in terms of bankroll management, like one reason to not over leverage into the position is I think uh, the situation where Lions kicking field goals is fourth and long, right? They're going for it on all fourth and shorts. And I, I do think the Bucks blitz on third down and and Jared Goff does take sacks. Like he doesn't evade pressure. He doesn't get out of the pocket and throw it away. He doesn't scramble at, like ever. So we could see a sack on third down, which would be the way that Lions get to fourth down. But I still that doesn't mean it's a bad play. I just think, you know, caution on bankroll management, don't over leverage. Yeah, I know that Jared Goff is getting some well-deserved credit this week after that win over the Rams, but he has been the bane of my existence as a better before. So that wouldn't be the first time, but I'm going to go ahead and take a swing at, at some good plus money on the Lions to say under one and a half field goals. Clark, on that note, let's get to the marquee I, event this weekend. Oh, go ahead. I also have a, I have a player prop in this game. Oh, oh, please. Let's get to it. Since, since this is props and hops. Uh, relatedly, I, I like the Jared Goff passing under 281 and a half on, mm. on DraftKings right now. Um, it's, I think it's minus 115. This is a, this is a high, high number. And, and I think it stems from a lot of what you were talking about, where people are very optimistic about the Lions passing attack against, you know, a pass funnel quote unquote defense by the Bucks. But um, it, it's higher than a lot of his numbers. He puts up the Lions run the ball a ton. And I don't think they're going to be afraid 
of this Bucks defensive front, I think the offensive line has a good chance to win. Um, and I don't think they're going to want Jared Goff just slinging passes back there against a blitz. So um, that's one angle. And then two is, is I do think the Lions are correctly favored. And like you said, uh, if they're winning late, they're going to want to slow the game down, draw the game out, run the clock. Um, and I think 281 implies that this is going to be a two-way shootout. So kind of partnering, again, don't over leverage into my under and the Jared Goff passing under because it relies on a lot of the same angles. But um, it's another way to play it if, if you don't feel like taking on the full game uh, total market. I struggle to find one reason to counter that handicap. And at the same time, one question I'll ask you relates to a point that has stuck with me over the last several weeks since I had pro better Joey Isaacs on the show. He noted that as much as he'll attack props, quarterback passing props in the NFL tends to be an area that he'll avoid. Oftentimes, if he sees value there, he might look in the way of, you know, a receiver's longest reception to be over or under a correlation to passing yards, but something that might in his eyes be a little bit less volatile. And as soon as he flagged the volatility of quarterback passing yardage props to me, I feel like that's all I'm seeing. I mean, that week I had Jake Browning under against the Vikings. And I feel like Jake Browning might have still been in the double digits in the second half of that game. And then he just soared over from like the late third quarter on. There was this furious rally mounted by the Bengals. So things can really change on a dime. And maybe that goes for any bet type. Maybe I'm just scarred from one outcome that's kind of burned into my brain right now. But any thoughts, Clark, on the potential volatility of passing yardage props in particular? Or do you just see enough of an edge here that even if that volatility is in play, there's still a comfort level taking Goff to come in under this number? Yeah, there's definitely volatility. But I mean, that's true, like you said, for many bet types. Um, I don't do a ton of player props. I have been dabbling in passing yardage props pretty much exclusively in terms of player props this year. And I've done fairly well on them uh, because the way that I'm looking at the game is mainly focused on you know, what, what elements of the offense are going to succeed or fail and passing is the most important one of those, right? So it's the most indicative of success. So I think of all of the different player props, pass quarterback passing props are the ones that I have the most grasp on based on my already built out system on spreads. Um, and so I'm, I'm comfortable playing it even into the variance. All right. Well, if Jared Goff has been the bane of my existence as a better before, um, oftentimes because I'm backing the Lions or Goff to do something, uh, maybe not the worst thing if it's a bit of an underperformance relative to what the market is expecting in terms of his passing yardage output on Sunday against Tampa Bay. Now, Clark, at this point, maybe it is the right time to dive into that marquee attraction of the weekend, your Kansas City Chiefs against a team I'd also be tempted to say your Buffalo Bills based on some futures exposure that I, I bet you've got riding on this matchup. The Bills currently laying two and a half, shaded toward the three, minus 120 big attached to those Buffalo minus two and a halfs. Total here, 45 and a half. Clark, I feel like, again, you're probably the ideal person with whom to break down this game, given your Chiefs fandom and your exposure on Buffalo. What's your outlook here for the latest edition of Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen? This time, the playoff setting shifting to Orchard Park. Yeah, my handicap is not overly complicated for this game. I think these teams are virtually mirror images of each other at this point in the season. You know, a, a lot has been made of Patrick Mahomes struggling this year with his receivers, but my offensive grades have not been bad. They, they have graded the Chiefs on the same level as the Bills offense. Um, I, I think things like MVS dropping that deep pass, Tony dropping key third down passes, uh, you know, Tony's offsides call. These types of things don't tend to be reliably predictive. You know, maybe a Chiefs receiver drops a key pass in this game, but maybe not. You know, maybe they're fine. Um I think I think overall the Chiefs offense the run game has been better than it's ever been with Isaiah Pacheco 
Patrick Mahomes looked laser focused and in tune against the Dolphins. And I know that the Dolphins defense was banged up, but I don't think people are appreciating how difficult those conditions were to pass in. Like we saw Tua completely collapse. And I don't think that's just because Tua is, you know, from Hawaii and and played in, in Miami. I, I think it was just really difficult conditions to go out there with bare hands and throw the football around. And Mahomes was laser focused. And I think um, he is someone who, you know, I don't know that you can measure it, but he has he has a level of play in the playoffs where everything else in his life seems to melt away. And the only thing that matters is getting the ball down the field, right? It's like he'll scramble, he'll find the open guy, he'll evade sacks. He has this almost superhuman ability. And, and I think that that matters. On the other side, Josh Allen is playing really, really well this year. I don't make too much of his turnovers. Uh, they, a lot of them have come, you know, fourth down arm punts, even third down arm punts. Sometimes I think I think those those have been a little bit overblown. Both of these offenses are decent, but it's not just the Chiefs that it's not just the Chiefs that have weapons that are struggling. Stefan Diggs hasn't looked quite as explosive as he has in previous years. I mean, most of what he did last week was kind of like what you'd expect a slot receiver or possession receiver to do, and that's not been completely new. Like he has been, I don't know if he's you know got a lingering injury or just age is catching up, but he's not the same weapon that he's been in the past. And so both the Bills and the Chiefs here are reliant on the run more than they have been in the past. And both defenses have been playing really well. But if I had to give an edge to a team, it would be the Chiefs defense because one, they're healthy. And two, they've actually been performing at a higher level than the Bills defense by my metrics. So I think you've got fairly equal offenses, a slight edge on defense or a strong edge on defense for the Chiefs if the Bills defense is banged up. Um, and you, that offsets any home field for the Bills. And so, you know, when I run my simulations, I make it about Bills minus one. Um, and I think getting, you know, a three minus 120, there were some three minus 115s earlier in the week that I took. There was a minus 110 that popped up today on, on Caesars. That was kind of nice. Mm -hmm. uh, but any threes I'm happy with. Um, if, if it doesn't ever get back to three and this plus two and a half just stays stubborn, um, I think you can play Chiefs money line. I think you can play Chiefs plus two and a half at plus 100. I just want exposure to Mahomes in the playoffs as an underdog, um, not just because of the mythical Mahomes in the playoffs as an underdog is just a, a, a statement that is incredible to me still, but also just based on my numbers of performance strictly this year, I think the Chiefs should be uh, closer to pick them in this one. So as I look across the board right now, left to right, Caesars is still showing a three, but that's a minus 120 plus three for Kansas City. That seems pretty analogous to the rest of the market where you can take two and a half for even money. So Clark, if of course a flat three were to show or maybe a plus three minus 115, that might warrant a bigger bet. Would you still say that the current number is bettable? Let's say the consensus Kansas City plus two and a half at even money. Two and a half even money is bettable for me for like a regular sized bet. Uh, three minus 115 or better would be a max bet for me on, you know, whatever your max exposure is for a spread. In my case, 3% of bankroll. Uh, that would be the bet on on the Chiefs. I actually went above the 3% on this plus three because of the significance of my bills futures. Um, and so it, it kind of creates a, a little bit of, you know, I, I win either way in, in one way or another. Um, but I, I really think that there there's a high percentage chance that this is a tight game. The other thing that makes the three ball in this situation than in typical situations is Mahomes is a quarterback that throughout his career has performed better when trailing and has performed better when playing better defenses. That is not true for almost any other quarterback that I studied in the history of the NFL. 
Um, most quarterbacks perform at a higher level when their team is winning and when they play worse defenses, right? Because the the threat of the run creates open opportunities downfield, play action. They're you know much more they're in much more control of the offense and things are flowing and comfortable. Mahomes like turns it on when he's losing. So in a game script where the Chiefs get behind, they're more likely to make it a competitive game that leads to a three point loss or even a you know overtime three point win that type of thing than you know comparably ranked teams uh, would be at a plus two and a half point spread or plus three point spread. Does that make sense? Yeah, in fact, you've talked me onto this. This was what I was going to lead off with as a lean of mine, but I was this close to making it a bet already. Looking at the consensus number, Kansas City plus two and a half at even money. So I'm on board with it. And a lot of the same reasons you mentioned would apply to optimism that I have for the Chiefs here. One more thing that we haven't discussed yet. Wanted to see how much this weighs into your handicapping process. A rare two-day rest advantage for a road team in a divisional round playoff game. I feel like that's a 180 from what we've seen for the Chiefs down the stretch this season. They had six straight games with a rest disadvantage looking at weeks 12 to 17. I think that may have diminished our perception of Kansas City, whereas now we might not be fully accounting for how much a two-day rest edge in this playoff setting could benefit them. So among everything else that you said, is that really something that's worth significance here? Or am I making a mountain out of a molehill with this two-day rest discrepancy? I think it matters in particular because those are dealing with so many injuries. Uh, I think if they were fully healthy and it was just a matter of prep time, I think they'd be fine. But you're looking at Sears that still haven't practiced yet this week. So um, I do think it matters. And even if those guys do play, no saying that they're 100% on short rest off a, you know, off a short week. So do, I, do, I do think that matters. All right. And one lean that I want to run by you here as well that touches on the Bills secondary possibly being a good bit beleaguered here. Nicole Hardman, longest reception over 11 and a half yards. We can find that for reduced VIG at minus 105. And as a general playoff prop betting tip, books are often a lot less confident pricing the non-superstars. They've been pricing and taking heavy action on guys like Travis Kelsey pretty much all season long. And barring outlier scenarios, like the potential combination of the high leverage setting and maybe a messy forecast in Baltimore, like we spoke to with the Lamar Jackson rushing prop, I think we can often find more value betting players lower on the depth chart where it's a lot less clear to the books how they should be priced in the first place. And for context, last week, Hardman closed 10 and a half, shaded to the over for his longest reception. That lost, but there were multiple opportunities on really deep targets. This wasn't a matter of 10 yards versus 11 yards. This was, okay, I think he had a two or three yard reception and he had a chance for probably a 40 or 50 yard reception on top of that. So the 10 and a half to 11 half Delta really doesn't scare me off this a whole lot given this week's price point. I also feel like had the Chiefs hit on a big play to Hardman last week, we'd probably see a lot less value on his prop this week. And a hat tip to pro better hitman on forward progress last week. He noted the Chiefs recently have been integrating Hardman a lot more into their passing game. So given that trajectory and the fact that we haven't seen the results yet, I think the process could indicate that those results may be coming as a pretty close lagging indicator to that process. And while that all is one kind of approach, all it takes is one kind of approach can be really dangerous with prop bets here. Um, sometimes you think all it takes is one play. You could hit it the first play of the game. You might still be waiting for that play to come around when the game's over. I think given that trajectory of Hardman's usage, plus the likelihood of the Chiefs needing to pass late in a competitive game at Buffalo, as opposed to a pretty smooth path against Miami last week, I feel like we get enough shots on goal to get this one home. 
a lean for me at this point. Clark, anything that you can offer to maybe nudge us onto or off of that play on Hardman's longest reception? No, I love it. I, I think Hardman is becoming more integrated, and you're absolutely right. You're spot on. The The deep shots were just not quite there, and, and there's a good chance that they are in this game. So, And and as far as you know, all it takes is one, I remember, in fact, I think it was a Chiefs-Bills game. It may not have been the Bills, but it was definitely a Patrick Mahomes rushing over. I had over 19 and a half rushing yards. He had zero rushing attempts through the entire game heading into the two minute warning. And then he had a 25 yard rush in the, within the last two minutes of the game. And I, I was like, no sweat, you know, so sometimes all it takes is one and you just got to have some patience, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it really does come to a fruition. So, all right. I, I think you've talked me onto it there. So I'll go ahead and put that in the portfolio as well. And before I get to our weekly rundown of the Props and Hops portfolio, this is the time of the show where I'll remind everybody that I'm partnering with the team over at Right Angle Sports in an affiliate capacity this season. And while the NFL season's winding down, if anybody's looking ahead to life after football from a betting perspective, college basketball season is in full swing, and that's where Right Angle has an unparalleled track record of success. So if you're interested in trying them out, no obligation, but you can support Props and Hops by supporting Right Angle Sports. I've built a custom link you can check out to do so, tinyurl.com slash picks. Now, Clark, I'll get to a rapid fire rundown of our picks for the divisional round. Check me if I'm wrong on any of this, but I've got you on Houston plus nine and a half at Baltimore, and then a couple bets in Packers 49ers. The team to score first to lose the game at plus 260, as well as San Francisco second half minus four and a half. Tampa Bay, Detroit, under 49, and Jared Goff, under 281.5 passing yards, and Kansas City, plus 2.5 at even money at Buffalo. Am I missing anything, yeah. or is all that correct? Yeah, and that's Green Bay to score first and lose, um, just to clarify. Oh, um, got it. Okay, so thank you for that clarification. Some books will just say the team to score first to lose the game is, oh, yeah. is if a, you could get an open-ended bet, but this is that. specifically the Packers to score first. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, and then... Noted. I do have one other fun prop that I that I want to talk about. Uh, I, I this is one of those like don't put a ton of real money on it because I don't know how to price it. But you can get that the Bills will have zero sacks in this game at plus seven fifty, um, and I think that's a a bit of a big price for Patrick Mahomes. He's played thirteen playoff games and he has taken zero sacks in five of those thirteen playoff games. Um, and I, I know that the Bills defense is probably better than some of those defenses he's faced, but he's faced a lot of tough defenses in those games. He just doesn't take sacks, especially in the playoffs. And so I think getting, you know, almost eight to one on a bet that has that would have hit in five of 13 of his playoff games is potentially a fun, you know, big plus money ticket to have. Um, so, yeah, pl plus 750 on no Bills sack in the game. All right, and we've got a comment here from Kelly Stewart in the chat. Bills, zero sacks. Wait, how many snaps do they figure to pass on? So do you put that into your handicapping process as well, trying to um, bake in like a, a Patrick Mahomes passing attempts number and work backward from there here? I think if I was trying to truly price it, I would have to do that. Um, but that's why I say don't risk a ton of money on it on my recommendation. This is just something that I'm putting you know, a small bet on because it's fun to have a plus money bet. Um, not something that I would claim is backed up by a model, but if to do, to, to do that, you would have to, yeah, map out the projected pass snaps, map out the projected pressure rate, the different, you know, you know, which, which defensive players are going to be potentially getting sacks and et cetera. So I, I have not done all that work. I'll be transparent. 
I'll still say that for reasons you've outlined, just looking at Mahomes' track record in the playoffs, plus 750 seems like a very enticing number. So for a small flyer, of course, this is much more likely than not to lose, but plus 750 might be a, a good bit inflated. So I'm certainly going to take a long, hard look at that and probably get in play in that one as well. And then a couple bets that I'm already in play on. In fact, more than a couple bets as part of my portfolio for the divisional round here. The standard two-team seven-point teaser, Baltimore minus two and a half versus Houston, paired with San Francisco minus two and a half versus Green Bay. Also looking at San Francisco, third quarter against the spread, minus two and a half at minus 120. Green Bay, San Francisco, shortest touchdown, under one and a half yards at minus 150. Tampa Bay, Detroit, method of the first score of the game, a Detroit Lions touchdown at plus 155. Another fun little prop to throw into play this week as well as the Lions under one and a half successful field goal attempts at plus 105. And then in the final game of the weekend, I'm with you, Clark, on Kansas City, plus two and a half at even money. Also, Nicole Hardman, longest reception over 11 and a half yards at minus 105. Now, Clark, that's a lot of picks we've run through, running the gamut on the divisional round slate. Of course, I always love to dive into the process when I've got guests such as yourself on this show. And one of the unique factors of this time of year Considering the playoffs versus the regular season, on one hand, we've got fewer games and perhaps tighter lines when we're looking at full game point spreads and totals. On the other hand, oftentimes a bigger attack surface within each game, looking at expanded menus for props and derivatives. So overall, how would you say your betting approach for this weekend might be different than a weekend in the regular season? Yeah, overall, the approach is, is not different to each game. The only difference is there's fewer games to break down. So I'm done earlier in the week. I you know, I had all my positions set up by Monday. And from then it was just kind of, all right, you know, what do I do? Twiddling my thumbs. Um, and and I think during the regular during the regular season, when there's so many games to watch and process and then so many games to prepare for, I might not have a position on a game until Wednesday or Thursday sometimes. And, you know, unfortunately, that means sometimes I do miss a number that I like. Um, and also sometimes, you know, I'm fighting with the market a bit more, but in the playoffs, the market settles very quickly. People make up their mind, they hammer it into place. And then barring, you know, late big money that has been waiting, we're seeing the same lines pretty much all the week, all, all through the week. So no, nothing different about my process to handicapping, just a difference in speed and uh, how quickly I get through, which can lead to me finding fun bets like this to, to, you know, donk money off on, uh, which I don't do during the regular season very much, but, um, yeah, so that that would be the only difference for me. All right, and and speaking of fun bets to donk money off on, or or some really strong plus EV bets that might be a bit more nuanced and more associated with your wheelhouse, Clark. On Twitter yesterday, you noted that you won't be sharing your bets publicly moving forward, and not to diminish the nuance in all of this. I'd encourage anybody to read the post for full context, but I'm curious as to whether there was a specific moment or factor here that played a particularly significant role in that decision. Yeah, I d actually decided this pretty early on this year. Uh, I, I had a very strong first week. And then uh, that following week, I was trying to bet early like I usually do. Um, I either, you know, a lot of times I'll bet openers or Monday morning. And I was like trying to bet what I was releasing and the market was moving too quickly. Um, and I, I think that that was the first time that I'd experienced sort of my influence on the market. Um, and then I went on, you know, a terrible run and then that completely stopped and never came back. But it, it gave me the uh, what's going to happen as I scale up my personal betting um, and then also try to give out those picks. And and what happens is uh, 
if I bet and it doesn't move the market, I can give out that bet. But if I bet and it moves the market, then I either don't give out that bet more likely or I give it out at a worse number. And so what that's doing is diluting the value of what I can give uh, in terms of people following me. Uh, and so then there's a conflict between how much I want to be getting down and how much I want people following me to get in terms of value. And I just don't want that conflict to exist. So that was the catalyst, really. Um, and then everything else that I laid out in the post was sort of the more detailed nuances of, of the decision. And then I waited till the end of the year to announce it because, I, you know, I, I would four for four was I, I, I owed them, you know, my analysis for the year. And I wanted to be enthusiastic and encouraging and get people to join and all that kind of stuff. So um, I wanted to wait till the right time to announce it. One thing that caught my eye from your post as well, you touched on it earlier in this show. Also, expanding your approach to include a wider variety of markets. I'm wondering if you could elaborate on on that and how that could help to shape your betting approach in the future. Yeah, so instead of just attacking a single, you know, right now my model is a spread-based model and I, you know, I can translate that to money lines, but I don't have a formal way of translating it to things like first half bets, team totals, uh, you know, even even quarter bets and then things that like halftime betting, second half bets, uh, player props, all these creative ways to take an angle that I see in my handicapping process and then applying it in a variety of ways and learning what, what are the optimal ways. Right. So because of the way that certain teams are structured, they might be better in certain game scripts. They might be, you know, like their offensive scheme matches up well against what this defense is going to do if they're playing with the lead or playing from behind those kinds of things. Those nuances can create value in uh, you know, derivative markets based on the full game total or full game spread that might not be fully captured in when those books translate those to derivative markets. And so I think that's what I'm going to be working on in the offseason is building out actual pricing models for those different derivative markets. So it's not just a full game spread model. It's a model that has many different elements and then I can attack more surface area of these games. And I'm sure that people who have followed your bets over the past couple of years will miss your picks being shared publicly. But one thing I want to make clear that you've also tried to make clear as you can on your part, that doesn't mean you're going away. So to that end, what can you share about what your followers can expect moving forward? Yeah, so I mean, I love talking about football. I love talking about the stuff that I'm learning and analyzing in the games. Um, I imagine it will be more later week stuff you know like the the biggest obstacle for me this year was getting out all the content early when i'm trying to process myself and so it'll be much more like thursday friday when all my positions are set i might start talking about something that i see in a game and you know i i think people have found value in in my perspective so i'll continue to share that but it won't be in the form of here are my bets this week here are the prices i got here's my record it's going to be much more informal and, and just chatting about things that i see that maybe aren't uh, captured by by a lot of the talking heads all in all selfishly i'll note that i found this uh, a bittersweet development i take a lot of pride in having been relatively early to discover you and your picks have been great over the years i know there have been some peaks and valleys but over time i think you've proven that your process brings a lot to the table and digging in further on that, not just the picks, but your process and the thoughtfulness with you to approach everything has really been a lot more impactful in my eyes. So I'm glad to know that at least the latter will continue moving forward. So maybe no picks after this season, um, but still for those followers of Sharp Clark out there, uh, don't worry, not necessarily going anywhere at the same time. Yeah. Clark, at this point, I want to weave in two pillars of the show as we start to hit the home stretch. First up, the Malinsky Minute. And when I think of Dave, often one of the things that comes to mind 
is how well with his habits he seemed to understand that time and attention are two of our most precious resources. I don't recall him uttering a negative word about anyone or anything. And I think there's a connection from that notion to something you shared on Twitter on Sunday, where you quoted a post of someone criticizing a clip of Taylor Swift dancing in her suite at the Chiefs game the night before. And your reply, if I've got it down right, was, look at all these people having a good time. I hate having to watch other people enjoy themselves. So I'm wondering, obviously that remark was a bit tongue in cheek there, but what inspired you to share that comment? And how do you go about approaching keeping your own time and attention on the right track? Yeah, I it definitely tongue in cheek. I, what I've been focusing on recently is this idea that, you know, happiness and success is not scarce. And I think having a scarcity mindset about that is is a very negative way to live life. And so people that see someone else having a good time and and like hate them for it or, or feel angry that they have to watch it. Uh, I think that's just a really sad way to live. And, and what I'm trying to focus on as a person is, you know, being happy when others succeed, uh, even if it has nothing to do with me, like just watching, um, you know, like I, I was watching Steve Fezzik in the Circa Millions this year because he was near the top of the leaderboard most of the year. Um, and, and Fezzik and I have had some some positive interactions and some negative interactions. It's been kind of a mixed bag. But, you know, I think a lot of people were kind of rooting against him, you know, like, oh, I, I really don't want Fezzik to win. I want to live in a world with it. And I was sitting there being like, you know, like, I, I hope he does well. Like I, I, I want Fezzik to succeed. And, you know, I sent him a text message when, uh, when he had, you know, he finished, I, I can't remember the exact place, but he definitely placed and got significant money. And so I sent him a text saying, you know, congratulations on that. And so I, I think the tweet for me was just a way to express that kind of like, let's not be shitting on other people for having a good time. Let's, you know, it's the same thing when, um, you know, there was a team, a college team that stormed the field after they won a college football game that, maybe it wasn't the biggest game in the world. And people were like, oh, you know, if you're going to storm the field after this game, like what's wrong with you? I'm like, let them have fun, man. Like this is an experience they're having. And and I just, I support everyone having a good time. And and Taylor Swift is included in that, you know, have a good time, dance, live it up, you know, hang out with Travis Kelsey, whatever. Um, I just want to adopt that attitude. And that's been my focus, uh, I guess, right now for me. And when it comes to that mindset of abundance over scarcity and just having a good time, Clark, I don't think I could have asked you for a better natural transition to the hops, another pillar of this show. And this week, I guess, similar to what I've said often in the past about a drinking experience being about much more than just what's in the glass. I want to zoom out for the purposes of this conversation and going beyond the hops from food to drink to overall environment with this being, in my mind, the best NFL weekend of the season, how would you describe your ideal viewing setups for big games like the four that we have on this week's card? Well, sadly for this week, I'll be you know sitting in my house watching the game <laughs> on my own, I think. But last week uh, was a annual uh, get-together for me and, and four or five of my best friends from college. We, we've been doing it for years now. They all live in Texas, and every year they come up to Denver, where I live, um, and we all celebrate my birthday and another guy's birthday. We call it mince. It's a long story behind that. But anyway, they come up and it's always during one of these playoff football weekends. And one of the main activities is just hanging out, watching football. You know, we ordered pizza. We got beer. We had chips on the table. And it was the type of thing that we used to do all the time in college. But doesn't make sense now as adults. We all have families. We all have lives. Uh, we're trying to take care of our bodies. We, you know, we shared our New Year's resolutions, and all of us had some form of, you know, 
making healthy choices, cutting down on sugar, things like that. So it only makes sense to do this once a year, but it feels really nice to do it. And I think that was like, maybe that's partly why I thought wildcard weekend was my favorite weekend of the year, but it was just us hanging out, uh, having a good time, relaxing, you know, we went to top golf in the morning, watched the football for the rest of the day. And, uh, that that's my ideal way to be watching these games. Unfortunately, I won't be doing that this weekend. <laughs> totally understood. And I'm with you most weekends. I'm watching by myself or with my wife and I've got too many screens to count in front of me. And it's great once in a while, thinking back to a conversation I had with Tage Seth earlier this season, of just trying to appreciate why a lot of us got into this in the first place mm -hmm. and just cutting it loose and having fun. And sometimes maybe why yeah. this weekend would be my favorite. We're starting to get toward shorter boards where there aren't, any games overlapping with one another, everything is standalone. And maybe during an early game one day, I might still be multitasking, but there's a lot more opportunity to just settle in and watch the game undistracted and appreciate it in real time. So I appreciate the perspective that you've brought to the table there, Clark. I also want to express appreciation for our audience here and throw out one quick ask as we start to wrap up the show. For those of you with us on YouTube and Twitter, if you could take a quick moment to like this video, that would be greatly appreciated and would also appreciate it for those of you who will be hearing this in podcast form. If you could take five seconds to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And last but not least, however you're listening to this show, a friendly reminder that you can support Props and Hops by supporting Right Angle Sports via my custom link, tinyurl.com slash raspicks. And of course, as a friendly reminder, you can follow Clark on Twitter at sharpclarknfl, and you can find his work for now at 4for4.com, as well as on the Forward Progress YouTube channel. Clark, this is always such a blast, and from the picks to more so the process and the philosophy that you've shared, want to thank you once again for your time and insight tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Matt. I always love getting to talk to you, and uh, I, I like hearing about your process, too. I have, I have a lot to learn. Well, hopefully, even though picks won't be shared publicly on your end moving forward, we can still continue conversations like this and add as much value to as we can to the overall discourse. In the meantime, want to thank everybody one more time for watching and listening. Appreciate your time. Enjoy the divisional round, and best of luck with your bets on what I will say one last time is the best football weekend of the year.